All right, so last week we started looking at God's Word to see what we as a church are supposed to be about. And so we started out looking at the universal church that every person that's a believer is a member of. And so we started in Matthew 16. And in that story, Jesus had just left Caesarea Philippi. He's standing there with his disciples. He asked them, who do people say that I am? And, and they said, uh, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say that you're, you're the prophets. And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And we established last week that to be a member of the universal church, the first requirement is that we answer this question properly. And Peter looks at Jesus and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, that didn't just come from you, man. The Father gave you that, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And so we look deeply at that confession, and we realize that everything that we do as a church needs to be about Jesus. That everything else that we do is a waste of time and is a distraction from what's important. In fact, Jesus said, after he said that, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Last week we saw that it's Jesus' church, he's the owner, it's not the deacon's church, it's not the elder's church, it's certainly not the pastor's church, it's not people who give a bunch of money's church, it's Jesus' church. And so Jesus said, it's my church, and then he said, and I will build my church. And we saw that he is the person who's responsible for building the church. That we're responsible to make sure that we're doing the stuff we're told to do, but that people actually coming to faith in Christ, we can't do that. The Holy Spirit has to draw someone. They have to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And that is a miraculous work that happens in their heart. We can't do that. God has to do that. And so Jesus is about building his church. So that was kind of the broad, this is what the church is, this is what the church does. And then we saw, uh, we looked at, okay, so if that's the case, that's really broad, we get that. But how do we get even more deeper into it? I mean, it's kind of, if I just say we're all about Jesus, then I can, if, if that's all we've got, then I can make it about a lot of other stuff. We've joked about, you know, preachers say, you know, the Lord's really laid on my heart. Y'all should pay me about 600000 a year. I just feel the Lord leading us in that direction. But no, God didn't just leave us ignorant about what we're supposed to do with the next steps. And so we looked at the last general order that Jesus gave before he left. The final command, the great commission is what it's often called. And so in Matthew chapter 28, we read that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I didn't really go into, but I will say that one of the things that is, uh, is you, we can tell if we're doing things right is that idea of worship. Worship should be something that just bubbles out of us when we're walking with him. If you have to conjure up worship within yourself, then it's... it's there's probably some other issues that are missing. The other thing that we didn't really talk about that that text shows, and even among that 80 group of people there, that, or that group of 80 people there, some doubted. There's always going to be somebody among us who's not fully on board. It was, I mean, these guys had seen Jesus die, and here he is living, standing there talking to him, and the text says, and some doubted. It also tells me, that when I have doubts or you have doubts, we're not alone. 
That you're certainly not the first person or the last person that's ever going to go, are we really buying into all of this? Because one of the things about Christianity that, that is just, to me it proves that it's, that it's real, is it's so unnatural. When Jesus says stuff like, love your enemies, ah, that's, that's, that's hard for me to buy into. So, some doubted, and then Jesus said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. So, we saw that the final command of Jesus, our general order for those who've been in the military, is to go and make disciples. Last week we talked about how there's a big difference between making converts and making disciples. That this altar, if somebody comes down here and gets saved, is not the finish line. That's the beginning. And that this church, if we're doing the things that we're supposed to do, should be a hospital for the sick, but it's also a recruiting substation because when you come to Christ, now it's time to get in the fight. So, we're to be making disciples. Jesus, knowing that we're probably not the brightest bulbs in the bulb box, told us how to do that. Go and make disciples. One, that you got to baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. First, got to get saved. Before you can do anything else, they got to get saved. And then second, is teaching them all that Jesus had commanded. So that's what we're supposed to be doing. And we talked about last week how we as a church need to look at everything we do and ask the question, what is it the impact of this on lostness? How is this going about making disciples? That's the question we need to ask. If we're going to do, uh, uh, we started, Lord help us, we've started planning for Easter, and we were sitting around talking about the, the, uh, the, what we're going to do for the Easter egg hunt and that sort of thing, and Donna said, you know what, I, I don't want us to just do what we've done every year just because we've always done it, and we've got to figure out a way that as we do, you know, have the kids that are going to show up here, our kids and the kids from the community, we've got to come up with a way to tell them about Jesus while they're here. Who cares if they get all the eggs in the world and they get all the candy in the world and they got chocolate all over their fingers and faces? Who cares if they, that's just sending them to, on their merry way en route to hell? We've got to, when they're here, use that as an opportunity to make much of Jesus. It doesn't mean that we cancel everything that's not spiritual. It means that we look at it and we ask the question, how are they going to hear about our Savior at this thing? So if we do a fall festival, we do an Easter egg hunt, we do whatever we do as a church, we're going to ask that question. How does this impact lostness? How does it go about making disciples? And if we can't figure out a way how to use it in that regard, we don't need to do it. There's a lot of good stuff out there that's not a role for the church to do. I can give you an example. I had a guy uh, probably a year and a half or so ago came to, made an appointment, didn't know who he was. He came to see me, and he said, I'm Joe Blow. Um, I uh, am big into uh, the ecology, and I'm big into sustainable farming. And I'm wondering if we could take some property here on the church, maybe a half acre, and I will come and till it, and, and I would like to plant a garden. And the food that comes out of that garden, we could use in Wendy's Warriors. And I said, well, that sounds like it might be a good idea. Tell me more about what you're thinking. And he said, this is what I'm thinking. What we could do is I could, I could plan it, and then on Sundays, we could take the kids out there and then teach them how to do sustainable gardening. 
And he had this whole big curriculum that he wanted to do, this whole big thing that he wanted to do so that the kids learn how to protect their environment and how to, how to garden in such a way that, you know, you're not using pesticides and that sort of thing. And I, I said, you, you realize we're a church, right? You, you, you get that. There's like crosses out there. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that idea. But taking the kids out of learning about Zacchaeus being a wee little man and Jesus standing there and saying, you're, I'm going to your house today. Taking that and replacing it with, this is how you, you do sustainable gardening? No, that's not what we do. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff. But what we are about as a church isn't about all the good stuff. We are about telling people about Jesus and teaching them so that they grow. And we have to be really careful that we don't sacrifice what God has called us to do on the altar of good stuff. Because there's a thousand good things out there that we could run, be running around doing. We have to keep a tight focus so that we're not scattered all over the place. And we're focused on making much of Jesus in everything that we do and making disciples. But still, that's pretty broad That's pretty, you know, that covers a lot of stuff. And so this morning I want us to look at the text that I read last week from Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to drill down and look at, we use this text as one of the guiding principles for how we're supposed to be doing church and what we're supposed to be doing. So the text that that Gina read is the one that we're going to kind of park in. So it's Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn in your Bibles, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So he, he, Jesus, gave to the church a gift. And that gift, he lists out apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, those are offices. That means that that, that there's an individual that has been appointed in that office, and that's his role. It's his title. First one, uh, first two we see are apostles and prophets. Um, Those are specifically defined what makes up those. A prophet is someone that receives a word from God and foretells it. An apostle is someone that, that was a disciple, a learner, who Jesus specifically appointed. The Bible tells us that Jesus appoints the apostles. Those offices are closed. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In former times I spoke through prophets, but in these last latter days I've spoken through a son. There are still people that run around calling themselves apostles and, when I, and prophets. And I, whenever somebody says that to me, I have to fight the urge not to snigger. It reminds me of little kids that come up and say, I'm an astronaut. It's like, no, you're not. Unless Jesus specifically looked at you and said, you're an apostle, you ain't an apostle. Idiot, stop playing games. Does not mean, though, it, the text says that Jesus gave us apostles and prophets? Does it mean that that's the way? No, we've still got the apostles and prophets and what God gave them, and we got it right here. In fact, if it wasn't for this book, we wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't have a, a, a way to feed our conscience so that we can follow after him. So the apostles and prophets that were given are still feeding the church today because we have their words. And anything that we as a church do that's not centered on these books, we're going to go south quickly. My very first sermon that I preached here, I mentioned that if you want to 
get frustrated if you want to have a good laugh, go look at church growth books from 10 years ago. They're hilarious to read because all the things that they say will work, we've learned won't work. All the things that say you better not do those, well, now somebody else has come out and said you better do them. All that kind of human knowledge and wisdom. I'm not saying that, that God doesn't guide people, lead people, write books that are helpful and useful that we shouldn't, shouldn't read and, and learn and better ourselves. But I'm saying that we've got a really clear plan on how the church is to be built, how it's to grow. And oftentimes we read what everybody else writes about it and leave the dust to grow on this. This is where the power is. God says, my word will not return void. He doesn't say Tom's word won't return void. So we need to be really careful about running after trends and and styles and, and acting like that's a big deal. So the apostles and prophets were given, we've still got their words and we better follow them. Evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now those, you may note, are offices that are specifically given here. but They're also spiritual gifts. So an evangelist, if you've ever been around somebody who has the spiritual gift of evangelism, you know it pretty quickly. There's someone who everywhere they go, everything they do, they just got to tell people about Jesus. There are some people who that's not their natural gift. Doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. I, whenever I, I've taught evangelism and taught people, I've had people say, you know, I just really don't feel the Lord leading you in that direction. And I go, well, let me show you a couple of verses where he does lead you in that direction. But there are some people who that's just the way they're gifted. That's the way they drive. It's, it's natural to them. It flows everywhere they go, everything they do. They're handing out tracts. They're telling people about Jesus. And God's given those people to the church. Notice that pastors here are called shepherds. And I really don't like that. I don't. I don't. Now, I've, I've shared with you guys that uh, about, wow, uh, let's see, Emily is 20 now. Uh, about 16 years ago, I was fired from pastoring a church. And I would like to be able to say that the reason why I was fired was, was because I was right and, and they were wrong. Um, in fact, I will say that if you corner me somewhere. Uh, but uh, I'd like to say that it was all about the issue. There was an issue, and it was an issue that I would still stand on today, that I feel like it was about the gospel. It was about racism. Uh, the church was very upset that I had baptized a black guy in this white church, and there was all that stuff going on. And I would like to be able to point to those facts of the case and say, now see, I was completely justified. But if I was totally honest here, just between me and you, The reason why I was fired is because I didn't know the difference between being a shepherd and being a cowboy. See, because a shepherd is having to lead, and that can be slow, and that can be, come on, sheep, let's go, and getting behind them, and let's go, little sheepy sheeps, and let's go. And then you get them, you think they're all buckled in, you got 99 of them, and where's the hundredth sheep? Oh, for the love, that hundredth one has wandered off again. And you want in everything in you just to go, all right, well, you know what? That sheep is stupid and it deserves what it's going to get. If a wolf gets that sheep, it's dumb. It's done walked off 25 times. I ain't getting it. But in the book of Ezekiel, it says, I have this against the shepherds of Israel. You have not sought that which which has been lost. You have not healed that which has been broken. You have not bound up that which is broken. 
So we don't have a choice. If that 99, you're, you got the 99 safe and comfy warm, that 100 sheep wanders off, you got to go get them. As a cowboy, you just get to go take your lasso and go get the calf and drag it back to the barn, right? That's the way cowboys do it. They get the lasso and they get the cool chaps and the ding, ding, ding when they walk. I mean, it's awesome. The shepherd, all you got is a stick. There's a difference between cowboying and shepherding. And shepherding is a slow process. I, after I preached last Sunday, I was telling the elders this morning, after I preached last Sunday, I had somebody come and go, that was great stuff. I've, some of that stuff I've never heard before, and I wanted to go, I preached it every year, the same sermon on January 1st. How do you not get it? I'm loud. I move around. I'm probably going to fall off the stage. You're paying attention. I can look out and see it. How do you not remember me saying the words? Ah! But God has not asked, called me to be a cowboy. I don't get to brand anybody. I don't get to lasso anybody and drag them back to the barn. It's a slow, prayerful, painful process. God has given teachers. And we never want to minimize the role and the purpose of teaching in the church. And see... There are people who aren't pastors. There are ladies out here. There are men out here who God's gifted you with teaching. You can do it. You can stand in front of a group of five or six people and tell them and walk them through. And that is an unbelievable gift. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13 and read about the gifts that God gave, the Bible says He gave the gifts for the building up of the church. The reason why you're good at teaching is because God wanted to grow His church. It's not for your sake. Don't, put, uh, don't hide it under a bushel. No! Let that little light shine. Some of you who grew up in church knew exactly what I was saying. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? <laughs> so he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gave them to equip. And we touched on this last week. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. purpose of the teachers and the shepherds and the leadership in this church is not for us to do the ministry. That would be robbing you of what you need to be doing to grow. Where Our job is to equip you so that you can do the ministry. And the reason for that is, is how we as Christians begin growing in our walk day to day to day to day is not by what we receive. It's by what we give out. It's by us serving other people in love. You get so much more when you give of yourself. Every mother in here has seen that at work. Your love for that child grows and grows and grows as you give and give and give. I mean, I've seen moms that, you know, it doesn't matter what bodily fluid their child sprays upon them, throws up on them, it doesn't matter, that, that they still love that little squirmy thing that they're carrying around that they're calling their baby, right? They don't go, you nasty, I'm done. 
Yet if anybody, I, I, I've, I've told this story, I don't know if I've told it in here before, but I, I used to, for my job, have to wear a suit every day. And there were times when I would go to work and I'd take my jacket off, and when I'd get to about this point, it would make a Velcro-like sound. And I'm like, what in the world? And then the room would fill with the smell of, of uh, milk because I'd been burping that baby before I went to work. And Emily had a little bit down my back. I didn't know it and put my jacket on. It dried in the car. All of a sudden, everybody knew that I was a daddy. I didn't go home and go, you know what? I'm done with that one. We need to make another one because she is nasty. No, as you give to that child and you think about the things that your, your children have done, how many times have they hurt you? How many times have you said, now, whatever, now I don't know about y'all, but this happens to me on a regular basis, and I've got 20-year-olds. Whatever y'all do, don't do X. What are they going to do? If I, were, if I were to say, do not go into this room, which we've done before. We've had to say, All right, I'm, I'm tired of cleaning up this room after y'all. Nobody can go in this room. This room is off limits to anybody under the age of 60. And sure enough, I'll come in from work and the entire family will be in there. There's not a TV in there. There's nothing in there that they want. And they're all piled up. And, jars, and I'm like, what is going on? But I don't say, you know what, I'm done with y'all. Just, just get out. No. No, I don't. As I have given to them I love them more and more and more. I want them to do what's best. There are people, some of you, some of the people I'm looking at have said to me, I am so angry at this person that I can't even be around them. I just want to pinch your head off whenever I'm around them. And I've always recommended start praying for them. If you will start praying for them, God will sap out that anger. It's, I've, I've watched it in my own life. There have been people who have hurt me, who've lied about me, who've stabbed me in the back, done things that I just could not believe that they did, that as I was praying for them, and in some cases not even near them, I'm just praying for them, that God takes away that anger. Some of the church's shut-ins, the little ladies who haven't been in this church for Five or six years because they just physically can't. I love them to death. It didn't come from them serving in the church or doing something and I've seen. No, it came from me going over to their house and, and, and just hearing their stories, talking to them. And then as I've done that, I've just fallen more and more in love with them every time I do it. As we give, it's just a crazy phenomenon that as we give, as we serve, that builds us up. So God gave those offices to equip the church for ministry. So as we as North Co. look at what we're doing, we say we're going to equip the church for ministry. Now what that means is, is that we have to do things a little bit differently than most churches. I would say 99 point Nah, they can't go that. Let's say 90% of churches, the way they're structured, if you're looking at a pyramid, is that you got all the people down here and, and that this long line of folks that come to church every Sunday. And then a little bit higher than that, you've got some, you know, your Sunday school teachers, people in the choir, that 10% or so that, that are there for everything. And then you've got the deacons and elders or whatever you call those guys that are leading. And then on the top of the pyramid, you've got the church. I mean, I got the pastor. That's the way most churches are structured. 
those of you who have come from other churches, you've seen that, right? I've been a part of churches where if the pastor said to do something, everybody moved. That's just the way that it worked. That was the way it was structured. Nobody questioned him. Nobody, it was just the way that it was. And so that pyramid is, goes down like this. Now, the problem with that is, is that about 90% of the church then, church is happening to them. They're sitting out there. They're being entertained. Their they're, they're, they're be, worship is being pushed at them. They're, they are sitting there, and church is happening to them. They're not serving. They're not working. What we're trying to do as a church is flip the pyramid. And so that at the bottom of the pyramid is our elders who are the chief servants of this church. Yes, there's some decisions that have to be made about stuff that you really don't want a part of. I, I didn't want to have to talk about and discuss whether or not, you know, how we're going to replace a water heater that blew up in, the, in there the other day. Those sort of things. There are some decisions that they have to make. They are to lead. They are to teach. But they, they're the bottom of the pyramid because their job is to serve everybody else and to equip them. And then as you work up the pyramid, that then you would have all of the, 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 the teachers, leaders, that sort of thing. And their job, again, is to serve you. And then the top of that pyramid that should be the 99.9% of everybody in the church, those are the people that actually do the work of the church. They're the church. It would be highly arrogant for me not to realize that if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, North Glencoe's going to keep going. And so that while that I'm here... That I'm pouring into you guys so that you can serve the church. You realize that one of the central tenets of the concept of the priesthood believers is is that you're going to stand in front of Jesus alone. I'm not going to be there. Your Sunday school teacher is not going to be there. And you're going to either hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or, "I I don't really know you. The difference between those two responses from Jesus. You got to get in the fight. So we in leadership are are here not to tell everybody what to do. We flip the pyramid or we're working to flip the pyramid so that we are the chief servants of the church. That the people of the church are the ones who are doing the ministry. Now the text answers why do we do that? He gave those offices, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body in Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I don't know if you realize this. There's a lot of wolves out there. There's a lot of people that want to draw you to their little thing that they're doing. Some of them are even labeled as Christian ministries. And all they want is some money. Or all they want is you to help them build their kingdom. There are people that are going to try to pull you away from God's word and pull you into other crazy wackadoo doctrines. 
The enemy is going to try to put doubt in your mind about God's Word and then pull you into something that you wouldn't believe if I told you right now that you've fallen for it. The number one demographic among both the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, fallen Baptist. So the reason why they're supposed to be teaching and shepherding that you're supposed to be in the fight, supposed to be in the word, is so that every time some wackadoo doctrine comes down the pike, you're not suckered. You know God's word so that you have the discernment when if you pick up a, you see the cover of a book that says your best life now, you laugh at yourself and go, well, if, that, if I'm having my best life now, what's heaven going to be like? And that's the end of it. You're not bamboozled by something that's stupid. You know what God's Word says. You see false doctrine and you go, I I don't think so. When somebody goes, you know what? If you want health, all you got to do is claim it in Jesus' name. You can think to yourself, well, I bet Paul sure wishes he had known about that doctrine. And then go on and realize that's stupid. The Bible says that all those who serve God, who are godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer. So you're able to identify silly, childish, doctrinal trends that come down the pike every time you turn on the TV. There's going to be some fool standing up there saying something stupid. If you know God's word, no matter who it is, you can say, no, I don't think so. And so you know what's going on. And as you're in God's word and you're serving other people and God's word is flowing into you and out of you, then you're not going to get bamboozled by every stupid thing that comes down the pipe. You're going to be able to have some discernment. You're going to be able to identify false doctrine. You're going to be able to say, well, you know what? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why is it that they're telling me that I'm going to get rich if I claim it in Jesus' name? But the Bible says over and over and over that riches are dangerous. Why? That doesn't make any sense. That seems to be contradictory to what the Bible actually teaches. And so you, are, you can identify things. And so that you aren't being tossed around, but instead, rather, instead of, you are able to speak the truth in love. And to grow up in every way into Jesus, who is the head. Who, from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, which every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, when all these things are working together, the church grows. Now, I'm a firm believer that as a pastor, I cannot live my life based on the attendance numbers or the giving numbers. If I do, it'll, it'll, it'll kill you. It'll drive you crazy. And so what I focus on and what I try to get our staff to focus on is the depth. We try to go deep. We try to make sure that it's about God, it's about Jesus, it's about His Word, and we deal with the depth. But according to what this text is saying, if we do a good job of making it go deep, God will make it go wide. We don't worry about that part of it. Who builds the church from the very beginning? Jesus said, this is my church. I will build my church. And so we focus on the depth, making sure that we're doing the things that we're want, wanting, that we are told to do, making sure that we're always keeping a Jesus church, and that Jesus will handle and make sure that the breadth 
of the situation is exactly where it needs to be. And the other thing that I see that twice in that text it's saying it will happen in love. I think it was about six months ago we were, I was teaching uh, through um, 1 Thessalonians and I, I quoted a statistic that said that the number one health issue among men from ages 30 to 50 were stress related to loneliness. And you know what? If the church is working the way that it's supposed to be, God's going to weave people's hearts together. God's going to give you those human relationships so that people can spurn you on to be more like Jesus. You're absolutely right, Max. The, the deer went down. Um, God's going to build that up in you, and it's going to be real. It's not going to be some fake thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but oftentimes in my life, churches seem kind of a facade thing. You get, it, you get up in the morning, and invariably, whenever we got up in the morning, my kids would, were crazy on Sunday morning. It was n- never this way on Monday. And Monday, everybody, all the kids are like semi-comatose, and they do, we just barely can get them in the car. You, you chase them to the car with a stick or whatever, and you get to school, and everything's fine. Not on Sunday mornings. I don't know if it's that they get to sleep in a little bit later, what the deal is. There's always battles in my house where you end up going, everybody, shut up! Get your clothes on. Get in the darn car. We're going to go worship God. (laughs) And then you're driving down the road yelling at your wife. I don't care when we get there. I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. And some stupid thing you're arguing about. And then you get out of your car and you still got a vein sticking out of your forehead. Hey, brother Jim, how are you doing? Isn't life just good in Jesus? And you put your hand out, everything's good, and you got a big grin on your face, and your blood pressure is like 215 over 145. I think that's bad, isn't it? It needs to come down. Good, good, good. As I was saying those numbers, I thought, you know, I'm not a doctor, and I'm probably going to mess this up. Um, I'm tired of playing church. I'm not saying that I take that same argument into the church and that I walk in the door and be like, oh, you aren't stupid or anything like that. But I am saying that I want to be real. I want to be able to be in an environment where I, I sit down and am able to say, you know what, I'm having a really bad week. I, can y'all pray for me? Because I think my wife is ready to get in the car and go because I've been such a jerk. Or can y'all pray for me because I think if my child back talks me one more time, I'm going to end up having DHR at my home because I'm going to knock all the teeth out of their face. (laughs) Can we get to a point to where we're building ourselves up in love so that we can get real and we can deal with issues? Because frankly, I was was talking with some of our, our, our new moms and dads just talking about the fact that once you have kids, the idea of, hey, I'll be there in 10 minutes is gone. And this mom was saying, you know, I, I got these kids and I got to get, get, get their coats on and I got to get the blankets on and I got to get, get everything together and then I got to get the car seats and I got to take them to the car. And then I got, you know, you got the two-year-old that's run off now. And you, oh, for the love, will you get back? And then you get them back in the car and then everything takes an hour and a half to do anything. And I remember those times in my life when you just thought, if I don't have a full night's sleep, somebody's going to die. <laughs> or you're... Again, on Sunday morning, this happened to me two or three times. As a pastor, this even happened. I'm walking out the door. I got the clothes ready. Yes, everything looks good. Everything's good to go. And some kid come up and smear waffle sauce all over me. 
And I'm what did, why did you do that? Well, my hand was sticky. It's like, well, now I'm, ah! But you know what? Those times pass. And those of us who have gone through those times can go, you can survive. The child can survive. I was talking with somebody this afternoon, today, who was saying, my kid's about to get their license. I don't know what I'm going to do. You've gone through this three times. What do you do? And I said, I just bug them. I keep up with where they are on my phone. I just, I track them. And they say, don't you trust me? I'm like, no. (laughs) No, I don't. Because I was you just a few years ago, and I know I was a lying hathern. (laughs) There are those of us who have gone through those same struggles, those same issues, and we can speak into each other's lives. We can develop meaningful relationships. We can grow together. That's why, this stupid deer, um, that's why God gave us the church. So that we could all grow together, become more like Jesus together, to work through those day-to-day issues together. To grow up in love. Because the point is, is that as we do that, according to what this text is saying, we're all going to be more like Jesus. And as we're more like Jesus, then we're going to start acting more like Jesus. And then that means that we're going to have more wisdom. And that we're going to have more love. And that we're able to speak into other people's lives. And then God's going to bring new believers to the church. And people are going to get saved. And now we've got some some spiritual babies. And we've got some spiritual young adults. And they can start speaking into people's lives. And then we're growing. and That's the way we want to grow. We don't want to grow the church from people getting mad at that church and coming here. And so as God does that, as people get saved, as people start walking in their faith, that's what we want to see. We want that to be the engine that grows the church. We want to grow in love. We want to grow in maturity. We want to be the people that God has called us to be. And according to what this text is saying, it's possible. We can do it. We just have to follow the guidelines that he said and then walk those in day-to-day life and in church life. And next week, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down. And I'm at, uh, Brian is helping me come up with a way that I can actually whiteboard. Um, we're going to look at this year what we're going to do. Some, we're going to actually do some stuff that's going to be a little strange, a couple of changes. I know change is hard for Baptists. I know it is. I'm not going to tell my light bulb joke because I've told it like 50 times, but you all know it. If you don't, see me after the service, I'll tell you the light bulb joke. It's one of my favorites. Um, so we're going to keep digging through this, and then next week we're, we're going to look at, we're, we're, now that we've gone granular, now we're going to get into the practical day-to-day. Be praying for our church. Be praying that as we move forward, that God would, would grow us in Christ's likeness. Now, I started out and said that the first requirement for membership in the church of Jesus and the church of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ is that you call on his, the name of the Lord and be saved. And if you're in this room, this hasn't been a very evangelistic sermon, but if you're you're in this room and you've never called on Jesus name to be saved, I would love to walk you through how to do that. And if that ha- that this altar is open. If you're in this room, and you're, you're, I'm hearing this stuff and you're saying, you know what, God gifted me in ways I'm not using them for Him. God has, has convicted you in any way. 
this altar is open for you to confess and then repent and move on. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you're in here and you're looking for a church home, a church family, we would love to have you join us to get in the fight together. Father God, Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict and draw and move. God, we pray that you would move in this body, that you would help us to become that hospital and that recruiting substation. God, from this place, I pray that you would send us out into the fight. In Jesus' name.